me and uh, Aubrey were sitting in the living room. We had just bought this house in Mountain View and the living room's completely empty. You know, we haven't paid for furniture or anything like that yet. And it's like nine o'clock at night. I got back late from doing something like some kind of commission work. And Aubrey's like sitting on the couch and she's like six months pregnant. And was like, dude, what are we gonna do? Like, we we uh we need to make more money than what we're currently making, you know. And uh, that was like the inflection point for me, where I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make some calls and just try to see what I can get into. I don't even care what I get into. I'm just going to pursue providing for my family. And I felt like, honestly, that sounds like a a scary step, like you know, the whole abandoning your dreams to. I got my foot in the door at Glockner, and uh, at the same time, it's funny because there's an overlap between these things. Like, I was also watching that series Abstract on Netflix. Do you remember that? And that, like, really struck me and spoke to me was Massimo Vanelli that designed, like, the identity system for the New York subway. You know, has real nice Helvetica letters on top of, like, big, bold, colored circles. Um, and just like, you know, it's an iconic part of New York today, but it looks like in the subway all the signage. But he has this pretty infamous quote, which I latched onto, which is like, if you can design one thing, you can design anything. talking to Connor Sherman, my twin brother, as well as the brand manager and creative mind behind the art, marketing, and culture efforts at the Glockner Family Enterprises. He goes by at Comeback City Kid on social media, and you might know him for that clean lettering, uh, the hand-drawn designs and characters that uh, you might be seeing him do. His Insta bio reads, River Rat with a Recorder. He runs the uh, local Legends podcast, as I'm sure most of you know. Uh, He's part of the PSKC... uh, 5.30 a.m. crew. Empire. <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> yeah. Connor, you and Chris were hitting like those 275-pound thrusters for reps at three. I was like not even within 100 pounds of that. <laughs> I'll just stick to them pull-ups. Chris Real is also the, the like uh, a maniac in residence. I love that guy. He really is. Yeah. He's just getting thicker every day. Uh, Connor is married to Aubrey Sherman, and they're the parents of two wonderful little girls, Olive and Sunny. Uh, Connor, welcome to the underground, bro. Thanks, man. Happy to contribute. Cool. A uh, couple warm-up questions. What is the most effective way to sell a, call, sell a car, Connor? Just come right out and say it. You know? Pressure. One more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you started with that. No, no. Uh, it's really like meeting the consumer with what they want. Whoever, Whatever car dealer gives the consumer what they want, they win. Period. That's pretty much it. So, obviously, cool. there's there's some nuance in that. But uh, I think car dealers try to complicate it and massage it and put like a, a bump sticker when you arrive on the lot that's like $1,000 more than what it showed on the website and all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, debauchery. I don't know. I want to use a PG word. <laughs> <laughs> so service, really, just service. Service, uh-huh. And we, uh, 
we are like proud of that mantra just we succeed by serving I remember Derek Mosley saying something about um, when you're doing ads on Instagram, it's all about the offer. That is the only thing that matters is the offer. Mm. Does that make sense? Isn't that like what you deliver? Is sure. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. No, the the offer uh, is certainly a drawing factor. But people will also uh, accept convenience or take convenience over a dollar amount. Like they'll pay for convenience kind of thing, you know? So that's where the service thing fits in, especially yeah. in the automotive industry, just like any other industry. Someone can always do it cheaper. Someone can give you that char for cheaper. Even if it's a hundred bucks, one dollar, you know, you could always uh, low ball and cardios are getting a bad habit of doing that to each other, like racing to the bottom. Yeah. Why is that bad? Why couldn't you just be like, well, you know, down the street hometown, we, we could give you, give it for you for $500 less. Why won't you do that? Connor? Why doesn't that make sense? Well, I guess we could then give it, they could come back to us and get it for an additional $500 less, and then they could go back to hometown. And yeah, to yeah. It. And there are people that do that, like visit eight for different real. locations and, and have an invoice for everyone, which I applaud their <laughs> diligence in saving a couple hundred bucks. Um, but if you're invested in the people that you're doing business with in like a small town setting like ours, then you should want them to succeed just like we want you to succeed, you know? Uh, and it should be a good service at a fair price. It'd be similar to like someone coming to you for a logo and like I'll I'll, I'll give you twenty bucks and yeah. you know it's like a big corporation or something to where it's they're like, making well, a lot of money off that brand. I won't be making logos anymore. I just won't yeah. be able to afford it. And like so, it's reciprocal, right? That's business sure. in general. So that's just like localized economies in general, and that's what Glockner's a part of is like these small town communities, and you should be doing business with people. Like if they offer the service locally, then you should have the same vision. And this vision is that we all succeed together kind of thing. So they trust Glockner that we're giving them fair prices and we can prove that to them and be transparent, show the taxes and fees, go above and beyond knowing what they want and, you know, providing a good service and like showing them options. Like with your uh, shopping experience, you know, Kevin kind of running you through the gambit. I think that might've been your first time buying a new car. It was. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, if we can provide good service, then people feel good about paying for that. Just like good food restaurant that you want to tip more for kind of thing. Word. Completely a very relevant question, Connor. Uh, will people buy cars in the metaverse? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> how, how do you see that playing out practically? I'm genuinely interested in the technicalities of that. Sure. Uh, just in the digital space in general. Where, yeah, where's their, where's their value to be offered, I guess? I think cars are just a part of American culture. You know, and whether it's like a 67 Corvette or whatever, you know, um, people are interested in like buying things and acquiring things that show off their aesthetic and what they value. And so I don't think that'll change from physical to digital. Maybe the car doesn't need wheels because there's no, well, that's not necessary for the functionality of it, you know? So it, it actually gets more creative on what you can do with the aesthetic because you're not having to worry about gas mileage and things like that. So I could see people getting really wild with the designs, but I'm sure there's people... It's like you'll sell it like art, really. Yeah. Right? As a piece of art. Almost. For sure. I mean, that's the function of a lot of like old uh, Corvettes and things like that now is it's, a, it's an art piece. It's a, right, right. It's an homage to the culture. Cool. Makes sense to me. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll touch more on the digital sphere. Uh, first we'll, um, we'll talk about what we're doing in the creative underground, what, what I'm trying to do. Uh, of course the slogan is we talk about what we create and why, but the purpose for why we do that 
is to transform. Talk about each other's stories. Think about triumphs, uh, losses, and uh, hopefully everybody learns learns a little bit about each other's process, and we can learn how to make better things because of that. We can transform, become better creators. So, Connor, touch touch briefly on like you know where you were before Glockner, the first day at Glockner, and how you got to where you are now, where you're in, and where you're more valuable. Why did you become more valuable? Well, a lot of uh, a lot of this origin story just starts with Aubrey and I getting married because I view that as kind of the most powerful milestone in my life. So just obviously you and I didn't spend a single day apart together for like 18 years, which is interesting. And uh, we both were inclined to be creative, which I think led lended itself to our development, just like bouncing ideas off each other all the time, bantering all the time, going through the first couple of years at Shawnee together. Um, and just desiring to create things. Um, but when Aubrey and I got married and we moved to Portsmouth, I felt like the narrative at the time, especially because we were like so young, uh, was I think most people were convinced that we were going to fail. You know, and the, the opinion is different now. Like, and dad was just telling me that the other day. He's like, man, I, he's like, uh, he was just open about the fact that he's like this, you know, I've seen this before kind of thing. Like I was in a few young relationships <laughs> in this, but, um, that and the hard scrabble that was going on in Portsmouth at the time. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Aubrey and I kind of set out to do it. And, um, like I, I remember the, my first inclination, like the first fire under my ass, so to speak, to design something, I was like, I need to make rent. And I'm just like working at the Student Success Center while I'm uh, going to school, while we were going to school at the time. And I need to uh, find a way to make my rent. So I remember walking out of the house and just riding my bike or longboarding or something down to the lofts, which had just opened, and trying to figure out um, if I could be of service to them. I just saw that they had chalkboards. I was into like the hand lettering thing. And I just talked to Terry Ackerman, just kind of like negotiated with him. I'm like, let, just let me give this a shot, right? Your monthly specials or whatever drink you have for the week that you want to push. And he gave me a chance to do it, which was pretty cool. Um, Susan was saying just the other day that, because uh, I'm updating the prices on the menu, she said just the other day that, uh, yeah, Connor sold me good on this board in here. Actually, Mary was just like uh, the, the, uh, the grandson of, Don Sherman, he's going to do the boards. And Susan's like, I, you know, I don't think we really need that. I don't know if we really need that. And then she saw what you did, and it was like, uh, it was clear to her she was saying. Right. But, yeah, That's, you were doing all kinds of boards all, all over the spot, like uh, uh, chalkboards. Yeah, Tyler Malt let us do some stuff for the brewing uh-huh. company. We both went in one day and did some chalk art and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, a, a lot of people view – uh, creatives as just like space cadets you know what I mean they're off on in the fringe doing whatever while everybody else is being like functioning citizens of society you know like the tortured artist kind of picture of things very familiar with it but, <laughs> but my uh like uh, my most creative endeavors started from a point of necessity and like needing to provide value to and support my family what first starting with just Aubrey being like a newly married couple and wanting to make something of myself and then uh going to Glockner was was out of complete necessity as well I was working at the print shop for a while and learned a lot there um 
but uh, there was a baby on the way, and it, it sounds melodramatic as a as a narrative, but no. Nah. <laughs> me and uh, Aubrey were sitting in the living room. We had just bought this house in Mound View, and the living room's completely empty. You know, we haven't paid for furniture or anything like that yet. And it's like nine o'clock at night. I got back late from doing something like some kind of commission work. And Aubrey's like sitting on the couch and she's like six months pregnant and was like, dude, what are we going to do? Like we, we, uh, we need to make more money than what we're currently making, you know? And, uh, that was like the inflection point for me where I'm like, all right, I'm going to make some calls and just try to see what I can get into. I don't even care what I get into. I'm just going to pursue providing for my family. And I felt like, honestly, that sounds like a, a scary step, like, a, you know, the whole abandoning your dreams to to just make more money. Yeah, that's the whole story, right? Yeah, yeah. but, but it, it didn't feel like that at the time. It was really like, I'm going to fulfill this obligation and I, I, feel, uh, I feel good pursuing this, you know? And so, um, honestly, I had done like a little bit of creative work for uh glockner like before i worked for them full time uh myself and uh a couple other guys were like uh doing some social ads and stuff like that for them like trying to put some campaigns together i was kind of like playing around with digital marketing on top of designing for a lot of people and doing the third and court thing and stuff like that um and uh i got my foot in the door at glockner and um at the same time it's funny there because there's an overlap between these things like i was also watching that series abstract on netflix oh yeah definitely the chrysler guy is molding car putting cars together and then yeah yeah a guy that does time magazine covers stuff like that. there's people that are like designing in all these different domains but um and that like really struck me and spoke to me was massimo vanelli that designed like the identity system for the new york subway you oh, know yeah, yeah. there's real nice helvetica letters on top of like big bold colored circles um, and just like, you know, that's an iconic part of New York today, what it looks like in the subway, all the signage and stuff like that. But he has this pretty infamous quote, which I latched onto, which is like, if you can design one thing, you can design anything. And so I went into Glockner and my job was like internet sales. I was making phone calls and sending emails and sending text messages at like a high volume to try to set appointments for people to come by. And, uh, buy cars. Yeah. Uh huh. But I went into it with the mindset of a designer, like, um, can I design the customer experience in a way that is more, uh, pleasurable and gets people to want to buy? Can I, uh, write up my, <laughs> write out my script and design, uh, this email blast and et cetera, et cetera, to, uh, create more demand or get people excited about buying with Glockner specifically. And that mindset and seeing that it worked, that was like the wildest thing. Like I had never really taken my design work and applied it to like qualitative data, like how many people bought something or gross profit or things like that. But when I saw the connection between those things, that wasn't really the first time in my life where I was like, oh my gosh, art has like inherent value. It's not just subjective to what people think you know sometimes like a lot of art is subjective like what it goes for auction and things like that but there's a there's like a qualitative piece to this that immediately quick quick, quick interjection uh yeah i was just listening to a, a definition of art from jonathan Pajot, jd and jd bentley and i are always nerd out about him but oh cool he was uh jd sent me the link Peugeot said that uh, art is literally means like the the good arrangement of things mm. 
that is what it means and so can you put something can you order a process or a uh an experience for people right yeah it's not flat things looked on the wall that's more of a that's more of like a postmodern idea than anything there like art divorced from practical application and reality and craft that's actually a very modern thing wow yeah no that makes sense but keep going yeah i I was just realizing that design, my ability to design, was kind of my superpower within the organization. And, um, you know, I, I owe a lot to the Glockners that they uh, they were at least open-minded to the idea of, like, having someone like me on board. You know, I was fulfilling a role. You know, I was, I was setting appointments. and There was an open position or something, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. There was an, There happened to be an open position. I didn't even know that when I applied, you know. I got lucky, basically. Um, but uh, they were open to the idea of, like, having someone like me on board. And then on behind the scenes, you know, the six months that I was doing that, they were uh, essentially, like, grooming me for a bigger role. And I didn't realize that at the time. You know what I mean? I had no idea that they were wanting me to... Did they ju- know they needed something like that? Did they know yeah. they needed a brand person? Yeah. I, I think Tim Glockner did, like, specifically. Because the boys, uh, the family like Tim Glockner and Mike Glockner and Joe, who are the vice presidents and presidents of the enterprise, um, they all handle like different facets of the organization. So Tim does everything sales related. Mike does everything fixed operations, like servicing your car and oil changes and stuff like that. And then uh, Joe does everything finance related, uh, financing heavy equipment, those kind of things. But I think Tim recognized that uh, it would be powerful to have um, uh, like a company creative essentially and yeah like I said I had no idea that that role existed or that was even uh, he was even that was even like on his radar um, but I think maybe he started to connect the pieces more and we started to like snowball into the role that I'm currently in because I was like uh, showing the connection between good design and gross profit essentially um, which sounds kind of cold, but there's a, there's definitely like a relationship between art and business. And I, I forget, I think it was on a clubhouse call or something. I had like a big kick with that app, but it's all, you know, <laughs> behind me at this point. Kind I of made me count. I'm not going to act like I was above it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, like one of the people on one of those calls, Chris Delaney, that's the guy's name. He was talking about how like people need to understand the difference between their, uh, their inherent value as a person and their market value. Because there's a there's a large difference, Dang. yeah. No, you got to figure out what your position is in the hierarchy, right? Yeah. Because uh, it's easy, and you know, I had um, I was I was humbled by my my need to provide for my family and be pragmatic and um, in the best way uh, possible. It was definitely the best thing that ever happened to me. Was like to was to balance myself with cre- with a creative and and uh, have a wife and children. You know what I mean? Like it's just made my life significantly more valuable and um but the uh what i was saying is when chris said that i i think it kind of made me think about how you know i would get those things confused and creatives often do get those things confused like well i'm worth more of this more um than this person wants to pay me but you may just not be the right product market fit or you're not like what you offer may not uh solve their problem in the right way that's going to provide them a return you know and people don't understand art and design until it starts fixing their problems which most people 
it uh it does like they do realize that at some point you know no that's that's a crazy way to put it they don't realize the uh the power of it until it it actually gives them some return in life yeah sure so i I say just keep going with your personal story though how do you get how do you get into a position how did the position open up for you finally Okay, what were you doing, and then how did the position open up for you? Yeah, I think Tim was looking to like delegate more of his responsibilities because he's super multifaceted. Like as brand manager, I'm like a super generalist basically. So I'm designing whether it be literal graphic design or um, better spreadsheets that are connecting departments and measuring KPIs. You know, like <clears throat> Matt. Crane was talking about that one time. He's like, even as a designer, you make the prettiest spreadsheet. And people like it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a good point, man. I saw that notepad background you sent in the Discord. Right? <laughs> that was next level. Um, but essentially that and, uh, yeah, um, assisting, like, online to in-store processes and transactions and making sure that customers are, like, having a good experience when they cross all those different domains of the business. So. But, but one day, basically, they said they – they were upfront with their intentions of what kind of position they wanted to go in. Yeah. Or did you kind of have to figure out what you were doing day to day when you when you got there? Because that really didn't exist before. Like how how you were supposed to be spending your time and stuff during the day, and then yeah, Tim and I like talked about it pretty extensively. Just uh, his, mm. what he um, felt like I could be doing that would provide value. And what we actually needed done, you know, like a lot of my rhythms now, I work with the the BDC, which is like the internet salespeople, the job that I was doing when I started there. So just helping them uh, refine their processes and tra- and like pace for the month to make sure that they're hitting their goals and uh, providing good customer service with like the emails and stuff that they send out, informing them of our marketing efforts and how that's going to affect to them what specials there are for the month, those kind of things. And then designing the creative that's like... Uh, bringing people into the acquisition part of the funnel and pushing them down to speak to a live person. So there's people. So it's like really kind of a very broad set of responsibilities where I'm tying all these different pieces of the business together that essentially create like your corporate image, you know, like when you go to Chick-fil-A and like feel so good about how they treated you. Well, that's like not like an accident. You know what I mean? There's like a lot of corporate trainers and spreadsheets and, uh like and values written down and coached exactly exactly and so uh like all those qualitative things create the company culture right i had this idea in my mind too that you were doing things like uh trying to sell cars when or uh, and having some sort of automated car sales process i mean that's part of the you might have just said that i'm sorry oh no you're okay uh did you did you learn how to sell car, cars in an automated way and you like set up the easy path and stuff. Is that some ways that you could bring in value for the, for Glockner? Right. Yeah. Um, there's like, it's called digital retailing in the automotive space, which is essentially like, you know, there's like this real lofty idea that you would sell everything online or it's just like, uh, <laughs> you, you know, there's like, it's completely personless and you know, it's like buying a, uh, I don't know, like, ordering something off Amazon essentially yeah. like car buying is usually more a little more complicated than that and even yeah. in Carvana you're like visiting a location and talking to having seven calls with real people and you know all that stuff because it's just there's so much involved it's a really large purchase mm-hmm. and uh there's like a lot to consider essentially yeah. so um but, but the idea with set up some of that process at Glockner yeah the, the idea with digital retailing is that you uh basically like 
provide all the information for people up front where car dealers, which is not a novel idea now. We were the really kind of like the first organization to kind of step our foot out and do it here locally and maybe even in the tri-state, like 100-mile radius. Glockner was kind of the cutting edge of that, which is why we branded the easy path thing. Yeah. And the idea is like you can see all your taxes and fees, all the information, uh, calculate your payment all in one place and make it faster and more efficient have like a have like a customer journey already laid out so that makes it easy on people and not hide anything um i was looking at a lot of that one before i bought the uh little hrv out there right right mm-hmm. and so it's kind of counterculture to that like car dealer you know uh keep of, your cards close to your chest kind of be sneaky to... pressure people uh kind <laughs> of kind of philosophy you know yeah. Which and and like the internet and things like Amazon have taught people that they don't have to do business that way, you know, or that they can't because then they'll get bad reviews or something, right? Exactly, exactly. Like people catch on eventually, right? So in our in our efforts to continue to succeed by serving, you have to meet the customers where, where they at, what they want, you know. No, that's good. Okay. Additionally to that, some more business philosophy stuff. How does things like starting a beer brand and uh, having a podcast that probably take a lot of time for you? How does that give a return to your business and can all businesses do things like that? Yeah. Or is it something that since Glockner, you know, that is it cynically like this is the icing on the cake. Now we can care about the community because we uh, because we have like the capital to invest in it. You know, mm. how how should a small brand think about creating community and going that extra mile when they're yeah. just trying to pay bills or whatever? Well, there's an argument to be made that like before you design a logo or something like that that you should be able to bring somebody the point of sale you know what i mean like that that's an important foundation of the of whatever the small business is or whatever your efforts are like how how you're going to fund this how is this going to be uh sustainable you know and that's just a part of like the business of art right yeah and so the two interplay like culture and commerce um I mean, there's a there's a massive overlap. Like they almost blend together. You know, the the Venn diagram is almost completely overlapping into one circle because they affect each other so much, right? Yeah. Uh, but the culture doesn't exist. They're, like our CFO Jim Donley says it all the time. You you cannot have a mission without a margin. And I thought that was a, an interesting idea. You know, you can kind of like propagate your ideas out there. Um, but if you're wanting to make a real impact, you're going to have to find funding from somewhere. You know, because that's a... Sure. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, not that ideas in themselves can't be extremely impactful. They are. But from a business perspective, if you're trying to be a creative and, and start a business where you get to be creative, mm-hmm. you know, um, like a margin is going to fund that. So I, I think uh, maybe, I don't know, Bernard Glockner, when he started the hardware business in the, like the late 1800s, probably wasn't thinking about a podcast. No, <laughs> 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 he was like a well, not what, is, what I'm trying to get get at is like why is that valuable and everyone yeah, knows right. that it gives something but we we are bad at articulating things so why have you found that so it's here, my, my my purpose in starting the podcast was like I I grew tired of um just like short social interactions and everyone kind of like perceiving our brand that way because we were getting like a lot of new attention on social media with just uh like our involvement the things that we were doing with the community the Glockners were like a very I'm like part of uh like a bigger story than me like the multi-generational six-generational family business um and um 
I was basically not satisfied with like the really short conversations and exchanges we were having on social. I felt like there was like a lot we couldn't say about who we were and why people should do business with us, but also why people should just like us as people. You know what I mean? Why we can find other creatives and like push the culture forward, not just like bring people to the point of sale. And I think it's probably because you're you were saying that you know the stories more and more of these people as you're around them. You're like, wow, there's a rich history here. This is really cool. People should right, know about this. Right, exactly. And it would it's like cool conversation points to help them be successful too. Like you know, cars are like so integrated into our life and business that it has a lot to do with other people's life and business. You know what I mean? So there's a there's enough of an overlap there to justify to start like having conversations. And I'm not saying it wasn't a risk. It's definitely a risk, a, a time risk. Something may get, go wrong or like the project may just sour to where you like go on to focus on other things. But the, the biggest connection I've seen in just making one-on-one connections is, yeah, like uh, people's faith seems to be renewed or, or their kind of assumptions are knocked away about what we're doing at Glockner and also... Um, just the overarching story of the community in general. Like, um, you know, the goal of the podcast setting out and probably for any podcast you start is not like immediate monetization. Like it's definitely a marathon and the Glockners are a marathon business. You know what I mean? They, they sacrifice margin all the time to uh, basically make long-term plays that benefit the community. You know, they could take all, all this money. You, you got to think about stuff like this because it's pretty wild. Like the more you think about what their options are, you know, if they have, say, like a hundred million dollars and just j- just as a just, just cash as a, sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. If there's like a hundred million dollars that could go to like benefiting the community, uh, it could also just go straight into the stock market and make them richer, you know. And so they defer options like that to invest in their uh, basically like their community, their customer base and see as they thrive, then, uh, like their, their theory is that Glockner will continue to thrive, you know, and it will last way past their lifespan. You know, man, I was just listening to, uh, this is again, this Peterson, I will, I will dogmatically refer to Peterson. He was saying that, uh, Henry Ford expanded the consumer base by giving people, paying people enough on the assembly line to afford a car. Yeah, or what I'm saying is, is like he knew directly that if he gave money to these people or invested in those people, their quality of life would improve. They'd want to do business with them. They could afford to do business with them. Right. And so, yeah, that's really um, that's like a relational business model where you know you make people. You're not just trying to manipulate people into buying something. You're making their life better, and therefore, like it makes sense for them to support your business. You know, it's like makes sense to like. When, you're, when your friend, like your good friend, starts something new or starts a new business, you want, you're you like dying to go buy something from them, you know? It's really that pure of a thing just to like chop it up with them and have a few laughs and be their first customer, you know? So fun, man. Yeah, and so the same kind of thing, that that is the strength of a local economy is like you can really get behind and get to know the people you're doing business with. And the podcast is essentially like a, an extension of that. And then also like showing the outside world just through telling these real town success stories, who we actually are, what the narrative is, and uh, kind of accelerate this um, this 
inflection point that we're at, this renaissance that we're a part of. You know, the Glockners are very tied into the renaissance of Portsmouth, Ohio, just like so many other people in the community are, you know. For sure. I've, I've directly benefited from that. But, like, and then, you know, there's, there's like, pleasant surprises along with that. I mean, do people come in and say, hey, we listen to the podcast and buy a car? Yeah. Like, it happens. Right. You know what I mean? But right. is that, uh, like, would I would have started a podcast if that was the immediate and only goal? No. There are, like, quicker ways to Definitely. to drive people to the dealership, you know? You know, it's it, and all these questions, you don't got to convince me. I, uh... I, it's but it's helpful because uh, I don't know you don't got to convince me refer back to episode three the best story wins but but uh, like these things are hard to articulate things that are not quantifiable why it's valuable if other people are doing well, well that means that there's not enough well doing for me or something you know yeah. that it's so easy to think like that it's no wonder people do for sure so it's cool to hear uh, returns you get from that and how you think about it um. What's this NFT thing you're doing with Dale? You're doing with Dale. Can you bring it back to the uh, digital space for a minute? Yeah, Dale. And, and I, what does that mean? What's an NFT? <laughs> N- NFT is a non-fungible token. What does that even mean, Connor? <laughs> it is fungible. A- <laughs> what? <in the> world? <laughs> I don't have a definition for it. <laughs> Same, dude. But, but essentially, um, it is like something attached. It's an asset attached to the blockchain, right? Which is like immovable and irreversible. And uneditable is like is like physical reality, you know. <laughs> which is Connor, interesting. What is the is, blockchain? <laughs> blockchain is basically like it's really secure code, essentially. Right, super secure. Like one person with a computer would never right. ever be able to uh, unearth whatever that code is, right? But yeah, it, essentially, you'd buy it to NFT to like prove that in a in a digital space where anything is replicatable, like you know, you can replicate a JPEG a hundred million times. Uh, yeah, that's it, what trips people out is you can screenshot the NFT. They could go to your yeah. Instagram right now, see the NFTs that you have for sale and screenshot it. Yeah, it's basically like proof of scarcity in like unimaginable quantity, you know? Yeah. And so um, like a trading card or something like that, you know what I mean? Um, but it, with you and Dale, you you guys are, uh, is this something you see as, uh, it's obviously a softball question, I'm sorry. Is this, <laughs> is this something you see as like uh, just another opportunity for a market in Appalachia like just showing people what's possible doing a small town yeah Dale and I were just like excited about the technology and wanted to just introduce it to our like a hyper local context really I mean we're and and that's the thing NFTs in general there's just like a lot of uh nefarious characters and stuff hanging around that scene because it looks like such a quick cash grab you know but if you're generally excited about the technology, which is the thing you should be excited about, like the idea of blockchain and all the implications of that, mm-hmm. that's really the real thing to explore. So Dale, Dale texted me, actually, and was like, let's just prove that we can do this. I was like, cool, let's do it. And we, we uploaded a Rich Moon NFT the next day just because that was it, it was like a, a context that people locally would immediately understand and just like there would be less focus on that and more focus on what is actually happening with the tech that would kind of get people interested in it. Also, interestingly enough, there, there's like apparently a few people that are also excited about the uh, the technology here locally because someone bought that, made an offer on that NFT the first day it was available, which is for like, you know, 0.5 ETH, which was like 
200 bucks but it was it was definitely um very interesting realization it made it real real fast definitely that, yeah how these transactions work and, yeah that's cool do you do you have any uh interest in crypto like you think you should have something is that something you should invest in in the future yeah definitely like it can provide no financial advice <laughs> Disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> Cody Stapleton like burst through the door. <laughs> like, Wait, Wait a minute, hold on there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love Cody. Shout out Cody. I haven't seen him forever. Crazy wealth, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um But uh really my my interest is in the tech. I almost have no interest in crypto as as what like a way to invest. You know what I mean? I have Actually, my dear friend Christopher Mock handles handles my portfolio of goods. Oh, okay. Yeah, and okay. so I'm like, I right think on. he does a great job with uh with Edward Jones. Right on, bro. Shout out to Chris. Yeah. Okay. Um, a few uh, external things. What role does uh, exercise play in your life? I mentioned in the beginning that PSKC is like a uh, a really cool place. I benefit a lot from that place. I like that place. Mm. What uh, how does it? How is exercise something that you've integrated in your life? What's it mean to you? PSKC was also, just as a small tangent, was like a big point of origin, kind of the big bang For as real? far as uh, us getting involved with people here in Portsmouth. So Definitely. I just love that. on 100%. Yeah, no doubt. Just getting to paint the whole building black was good stuff. I still like remember Dale running around uh, the office and like yelling paint it black. Just, <laughs> it was just yeah. a fun energy. Let the garage doors roll up every morning about... Uh, about six thirty, seven a.m., and then just blaring the stones, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's cool. It, exercise. The historical he, building committee just hearing it on the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Ackerman <laughs> driving by in his white van. <laughs> the black mass is rising, bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, exercise plays a very important part in my life. Not only just with my with like my self image and wanting to be capable and things like that but i feel like it just kind of keeps me sane uh yeah especially you know like being in such a digital focused role you know it kind of just starts to hurt your eyes and your soul staring at a screen for so long you gotta you gotta keep the 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 blood flow in the brain moving bro doesn't it just clear you out when like you're embodied again you're physical yeah there's like uh there is a you untap a different level of potential i feel if your mind or body are also kind of in tune yeah so you know lift something heavy drink water probably not in that order (laughs) (laughs) for sure for sure (laughs) no that's cool and you um yeah what a cool community that they've created there because uh I don't know. There's so many local business owners. Everybody just wants to be productive and work hard. Yeah. And do that in the gym too. It's really fun. Also, also a memorable moment at Glockner with Dale King. <laughs> so all these worlds are kind of crossing. And the Glockners, you know, are real involved in in uh, PSKC as well. So I enjoy our uh, overlap in life that they understand these kind of things. You know. Um, but I remember Dale in the conference room and we had him one morning at the end of the department meet head meeting to just kind of give his Dale rant, you know, to start the new year. And I remember him, I, I, I swear he was looking directly at me, although he'd probably deny it. He's like, listen, you need, you need to sleep and you need to exercise or you're going to die. <laughs> well, you know, Dale's like extra, you know, he's kind of just a, a grand person like in the way grandiose person the way that he says things but it really got the point of cross and like at the time you know i was i was 
20 pounds heavier than I am now and uh, was not taking care of myself, was like really sacrificing my sleep and my well-being to just, you know, like grind a little harder, I guess. But, um, you know, that's not sustainable, essentially. And so exercise is a part of that stability just to kind of like knock you back into the real world, especially, you know, it doesn't have to be like incredibly strenuous exercise. There's actually no correlation. I don't know where I saw this stat, but it's real. Uh, Like... There's no correlation between the intensity of your exercise and how long you live, but there is a correlation between how many, how much you walk and how long you live, That's which crazy. is interesting. Yeah. yeah, like how many get your steps in, kind of thing, which is like I'm gonna have to have you run that by Greg Glassman, bro. Right? <laughs> but it, intensity of exercise is really good. But what I'm saying is like you just gotta move. You gotta stay moving. Yeah, you gotta sure. engage sure. in the physical world. Um. And uh, that is going to help you sustain your efforts longer, for sure, for sure. That's so and cool. I know you're Nick. You're like I'm speaking to someone who's farther along in this exercise journey than me, dude. I'm really, here. you think so? Yeah, no, you're moving more metal than me. All right, I like uh, I like to just get after it, but <laughs> you're a maniac. I tell everybody that Nick just works out in the dark by himself. Like, he's, he's literally a maniac. <laughs> And they're like, you know, what's impressive about that is just the solitude of it. Like for most people, including myself, dulls the intensity. Like you're not able to. But uh, then you came into the gym at free week, like a couple weeks ago, and just smashed us all at that the wad that we were doing, which was like uh, ten to one ladder of thrusters and toes to bar, and you just look (laughs) unbothered with those movements, you know. And so, which is a testament to how intense your training regimen is even in solitude so that that's a very interesting thing to me that you can uh that you can maintain that level and intensity and kind of build up your physical endurance like that by yourself that's an extra level of discipline I well, think. well thank you yeah one it's out, out of it's out of necessity some like you said like it really does clear my mind it mm. it really very much helps if you're working hard to try to stay sane and be physically embodied and switch between states of mind. Yeah. But the second thing is, is I was so wrecked after that workout, Connor, that we did at PSKC, bro. I, another Dale King quote, you know, you can't be a part-time CrossFitter. You can't, you can't do it because it's like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what it was about just loading certain ways or I'm in the environment. And so I'm super stimulated and I'm like, want to go as hard as I possibly can go. You pay for it a little bit, but (laughs) anyway, uh, Connor, what do you think happens? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me see, where do I want to go with this? Can you bring it home with like what your overarching business philosophy is now, life philosophy? Is the, are the, do those things overlap? Is there such thing as work life work life balance or are you an integrate do you think try to think about how you integrate it? How do you think about how you work and how you live? Sure. Nicholas, I'm sure you uh, also pull from this resource, but I'm a big fan of family teams with the Bethkeys. Like, oh yeah, 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 from mm-hmm. Jefferson Bethke and kind of like the content that he puts out. But um, anyway, uh, Aubrey and I went to the it's called Family Teams Conference in Cincinnati like two years ago, and and that was like a, a big point of revelation to me. To where, you know, I feel like before I got in the context of you know. Um, establishing a multi-generational vision and like working your family as a team it sounds kind of cliche but like what I was noticing in my own life was like you know I I loved my family and felt I was investing in my family but it uh it was basically like 
all right, like I'm going to work, get out of the way so I can go accomplish these things and you guys can just like tag along basically. And uh, realizing that, um, you know, that's just like kind of a, uh, that's kind of just part of American culture is I feel like we're trying to like sedate our kids and put a screen in front of them so they kind of like leave us alone while we do our adult things, you know? But uh, I was telling somebody about how like our older sister Amber and stuff, I mean, always when we would come down here um, and even our our mom and uh, grandparents like were very, wanted to engage with us, you know what I mean? They wanted to uh, put us on and show show us new things. And like I was saying, Amber, like, um, you know, showed us cool art and things like that and let us play D and D with our older friends and they all kept it as PG as possible. You know what I mean? Like those <laughs> yeah. kind of things to kind of put us on and not keep gatekeep us from like the, the real world, you know? Yeah. But my, my point is, is I feel like we can either uh, view our kids as an inconvenience and sedate them while, while we do something else. So we can like bring them to the table with us, you know, and kind of uh, start to put like, I love when Ollie's sitting by me and drawing on my iPad. Like, that makes me happier than anything. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of my goal. Is like, obviously, there's uh, moments where you have to, um, do, like, the majority of my work life is me by myself, you know? But um, if I'm sitting at the table and doing something for work or just for a personal project or whatever, I try to, like, bring Ollie into that whenever it's appropriate, you know? And, uh, give her the chance to kind of see into this creative world and play with me. Like if I'm in a state of play, you know what I mean? Include her in that and then engage her in her state of play. And I feel like that's how, how is that brought you seeing that when she does it? You know, I'm, I'm sorry. Say that again. How has it, uh, how has it helped you when you see her do that? Like her oh. make things like making things. Yeah. Just like realizing her potential for sure. Like just realizing how, how smart she is and, and feeling like, man, this is way bigger than me. Like, everything I do is affecting uh, how she's going to view the world and her ideology. And, you know, how it's, like, absolutely crucial that I view the world as as, uh, me being, like, guiding her and setting her up for life. Because nobody else is going to, you know what I mean? The school school doesn't do that. That's not their responsibility. The church doesn't do that. That's their responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility to to bring a child along, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of help unleash their potential. And so, um, and, you know, I, I feel like Nick, you can relate to this because I feel like, uh, I, I remember being like 12 years old and walking down within the Heights in Sayadaville and hearing the train in the morning and stuff. And that's where all our family was at the time, both our grandparents and they, we all stayed at the same house together that my grandparents had built. And, uh, and Sally and Patrick and um, like everybody being up on that hill and just feeling like, man, I, I want to be here. I like want to be in Portsmouth. I want to participate in this. And exact I didn't, same I, feeling, yeah. I didn't know same what same. that feeling was, but I, I feel like now looking back, that feeling was like drawing from our multi-generational family vision that my grandfather yeah. set something up that made us feel included and shows kind of the lineage of like, I accomplish these things and you can, and then your parents accomplish things and then you can accomplish things and we can kind of uh, like carry on these higher values together. Like that this yeah. is multi-generational and I wanted to participate in that narrative. I just couldn't articulate it at the time, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And so um, 
like I want uh, I want Ollie to be a part of that narrative and Sonny and uh, Aubrey and I like build that narrative for them together you know um, so you know that that permeates every facet of life life business play uh, extracurricular kind of stuff yeah that, that's so awesome uh, on on that <clears throat> on that note on the legacy note I sent that picture to uh I sent that picture of Gramps's grave to everybody in the group chat to uh, Dad and Grace and Amber and you. And, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that same thing. I get that haunting feeling almost every morning when I walk Milo up the hill just uh, here in the train and thinking about what is our place here and, and how did the people that were before us set us up for this and where how are we going to set the, the next people up and stuff. And that's more obvious for you with kids right now. But, uh what do you hope for your, what do you hope for Ollie and Sonny and, uh, however many kids, children you guys have? Like what, how do you hope that they, uh, that you can set them up and, um, I guess, I don't know what's the best way to ask this question. What do you hope for your kids and your legacy? I know it. Listen, we're 28 years, 27, 28. Sure. We got sure. It. But these are heavy, for, for sure. Heavy questions you got to think about and try no, no. at least to answer or yeah, find yeah. an origin point. For sure. Um, because this is all going somewhere. The cool thing is we're all still in the transformation. We're all still in the transformation, and this is going somewhere. And it can go a really bad place, or it can go a place that's more good than we can imagine yeah. and uh, makes us – justifies our existence. So what what are you trying to uh, – how are you trying to do that? Yeah, I want uh, my girls to feel uh, capable and know where their uh, identity is rooted in, you know. Um, yeah. Not only, not necessarily just like build a skill set to have a career or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's really just uh, to know that their identity is firmly rooted in in Christ, and um, like I think everything uh, is like is kind of built on that. You know? Yeah, and we so, have uh, to know what story we're in for sure. We have to know what uh, I don't know why we're here and what we're doing, what we're why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. But for sure to make them feel like that they're participating in a narrative that's bigger than themselves, both in like what uh, like Christ's work for us, where our what our future is, and then also um, like what they're supposed to do on this earth. You know, I, I don't think that there's going to be like an immediate outline of what their life's going to look like. That's impossible, you know? Yeah. Um, that they feel oriented and prepared for life struggles and that they have people that uh, love them and that we're on the same team. It's not like a uh, mom and dad do one thing and now you have to like refigure this whole thing out. You yeah. Know? And that's a, that's a cool part of what overlaps in my, uh, the business that I do and what inspires me is like, I think that's why the Glockner family has been so successful in their business is they, um, have kind of cast that vision for every generation and let people know, uh, let their successors know that it's bigger than just, a margin right that, yeah that, that they do have a mission and that's something that they can participate in not like uh there's this giant surmounting pressure to um to fit a mold of what like the rest of the family's already done but essentially that like uh they feel um oriented and uh ready to take on life's challenges and live purposefully but um well said bro I would say my my current career aspirations is to like um, 
continue to create things that like applies to the broader narrative that like a narrative that other people want to participate in. So whether it's yeah. like the podcast telling real town, real small town success stories that is like initially hyper local and then might affect, uh, might affect people that live in similar contexts or Appalachia or what, like people that are young like us and trying to do something in a rural environment. Um, but not just with the podcast, just with the advertising, the design and stuff like that, that I do to not make, not for my intention to not be perceived as just manipulation, like another sale or another coupon, but uh, essentially that we're creating content that other people want to participate in. And I think that's a much more powerful thing, you know, uh, 100% yeah. it is, dude. And that, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff that lasts, you know, data will be forgotten. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, what my grandfather, basically what his margins look like on his, his, uh, checkbook, you know, yeah. but I do know like the values they propagated to me. And it's like my granddad, I'm sure you can relate, like, uh, was the person that I was always trying to model, even when I didn't understand it. Like I, that guy was my hero. Like he just seemed like a hero to me, you know? Yeah. And so I wanted to emulate that in some way. And it, it was those values, that multi-generational family vision that I uh, ultimately like um, come, came to understand more. And those are the things that were passed on, like those conversations, those stories, not necessarily uh, data on the checkbook. You what, know? what did that, on that topic a little bit, what did that do for uh, you when you were able to make that concrete and share Gramps' story mm -hmm. on the, in your podcast, bro? I mean, I definitely felt more direction but also I think it like broadened the context as well for the people that listen, not only that uh, they could hear uh, Gramps's legacy, but um, just the realization that there are, that there is like a beautiful narrative that we can all participate in here in the community. You know, not everyone is a story writer or wants to create stories, but like, I think everyone wants to pass through them, be a part of them. That's how we kind of view the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, isn't it weird when we start talking about this stuff that it almost always gets theological? Like when it start, you start talking about what did the people that are dead now? They're dead. Yeah. But how can I take what they did and bring it forward? And I'm gonna die. But how can we make this almost live on forever? Yeah. Like how can we do that? And my suspicion is that it does live on forever. But but uh, I think that's so cool when it it's. Uh, when there is an entity like, like Glockner that uh, not only has the capital to make really cool projects hap happen, but does the most meaningful possible things they can do with it. Right. You know, and like telling Andy's story, telling Graham's story, telling, uh, uh, telling the story of Portsmouth and the redemptive story of that. Like, what more you can do? What more could you do? What more meaningful thing could you do? That's theological work right now. More Right there. You're trying to bring a little slice of heaven here. Mm. And, uh, that's cool. Agreed. But any anything else you want to say, uh, Connor? Where can people find you? And are you excited about anything else? We've got to wrap this up. Yeah, just come back, City Kid, on all platforms. And uh, yeah, man, just excited to create things and things that last. Hopefully, hopefully for a very long time. Yeah. Cool. Very excited to contribute to the underground. But what what you're doing with uh, just the like reading the books and everything. I mean, you really take people on a wild ride and are, and are like uh, elaborating on ideas that, that can, um, that have just me personally, I'll speak for me personally, have sure. helped me see 
uh, my potential or issues in uh, new ways. And I'm thankful for that. Just your ability to like, uh, to just jump into the fray and blaze a new trail, like bar, you know, and then uh, bring back your insights. And so you're, <laughs> you're a maniac, dude, and I love you for it. <laughs> Thanks, dude. It's all just, it's all, uh, it's all fun adventure for sure. Thanks, Connor. Yeah, see you, man.